Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Disgusting cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? This is episode 48. I actually thought this was episode 49. Um, I thought we were one closer to 50, but we're <laughs> one further away. I don't know if that's an analogy for our lives or what, but... I don't think that's anything. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we're here together. <laughs> Thank you for listening to What Do You Got? We're... Um, really happy to be don't here don't npr the audience don't <laughs> npr the audience i can npr whoever i want rude non-consensual npr that's a sketch <laughs> you like go out on a date with someone they're like oh so what do you do for work well i um happen to work in advertising and what I... <laughs> why are you talking like that i just thought it would be soothing if we could sit here and i really don't like this i don't I'm... I'm sorry that you feel that way, but I thought we there could are other people me. here. <laughs> Coffee for Becky. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go grab that and I'm not coming back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, nice little nice little jokey joke making uh, to start us off. Ladies and gentlemen, and anyone in between. Thank you for joining us again. This is episode 48. As we move closer to 50, we're still at a loss for what we're going to do. Um <laughs> Uh, this episode is my choice. Um, but first, a word from our sponsors. Rob, take it away. Hey, guys. Do you ever go to the bathroom? Well, if you do. <laughs> no, no, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Sometimes you've probably noticed there's a spider in there. And they control most of the major world governments. So what can you do? Not much, but you can have a better time wiping your butt. With, with spider new, paper. With new spider paper. Uh, this paper has eight legs that attach to the butt cheeks. And uh. <laughs> what it does is it just crawls right up on in there. Um, <laughs> make sure that it cleans it nice and well. Um, and this way you don't have to talk to the toilet spiders. <laughs> Spider paper brought to you by what do you got? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm not sure what just happened there, but I love it. And I think we should do it every episode. Not spider paper, but we should sponsor every episode. I think we just dissociated. <laughs> it ain't the first time. It will not be the last. Uh, today's episode, uh, folks, um, is about a very serious, very powerful and very expensive computer virus. Um, for anyone who lived through life in the early 2000s, which I'm hoping is everyone here, I don't think we have any like 14 year old uh, <laughs> listeners. Um, there is a virus called my doom 
Uh, and that virus is the most famous and most dangerous computer virus of all time. So it was created about 15 years ago in uh, 2004. And yeah, we're just getting right on into it. Uh, we're going to go through this and then we'll do our pitch because that's how the episode goes. That's how it's always gone. And I don't know why you'd be complaining about that. Um, so my doom, the virus uh, actually became the most widespread uh, virus of all time, affecting a quarter of all the emails sent globally. So it's been written in the history as the worst virus outbreak in internet history, causing up to 38 billion billion with a B dollars in damages. If the data damages is converted in today prices, the total damage cost would reach around 52.2 billion. It's an absurd um, amount of money. It's insane. Now, Uh, The malware spread and infected more than 50 million computers worldwide. Today, that might not sound as much, but this is also 2004, where not everyone had a computer in their home. And if they did, it was only one computer because it was the family computer, usually somewhere in the kitchen, maybe sometimes in an office. It was an old gray tower, most likely Adele. Um, Hmm. I know that's what ours was. Uh, Furthermore, due to its destructive nature, it was actually able to take down Google for a short while. Imagine. Imagine life without Google. And I don't mean like, like, oh, I can't get on Google right now. No one could get on Google for a while. Um, it's considered the most successful computer virus in history, at least from a certain perspective. Uh, a company called Get Support reported that the malicious malware had two kinds. It had MyDoom.A and MyDoom.B. However, there was a significant difference between the two. The A variant, it appeared to be solely focused on SEO websites, uh, whereas B variants appeared to be targeting Microsoft Windows, as well as several popular antivirus websites at the time. Now, at this point, Almost everyone who had a family computer, most likely, and I'm, I'm not really doing any research here, but most likely had a Windows computer. I don't think at this point in 2004, Apple was kind of big in the household computer market yet. Um, they were still making waves with the iPod, but their their iMacs at the time, which were not called iMacs, I think they were called Power G2s or something like that. Uh, the, the Shell computer that you you know and love from Apple nostalgia, the colorful shell background one. I don't think that came into play until about 2005, um, which was that around about right, which I mean, was around the time. Yeah, I, I could be very time, wrong. Apple did not have a successful computer besides the Apple II, which was in 1981, I think, or even 78, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Um, so, yeah, at this time, Apple was not really a big household name for computers. Uh, it, everything was Windows. It was always, dude, you're getting a Dell. And that was that was everything back then. Um, so how does the MyDoom virus spread? Very simply put, uh, if you've ever received an email that's like, open this attachment and view your winnings or whatever, anything hmm. like that, that's basically what MyDoom does. So the worm is a malicious malware that spreads and targets computers running Microsoft Windows. So it became widespread through mass emailing. What it does is it hunts for email addresses from the infected device, It collects them and then sends copies of itself to the email addresses gathering in the defected infected device. Excuse me. Um, At that point, the emails will uh, with unusual subject lines begin to arrive in inboxes all over the world. The emails appear to be errors of some sort with a message advising the user to open the attachment in order to see the message itself. Um, as explained by HP, Hewitt Packer, if you will, quote, it was uh, it also roped those infected machines into a web of computers called a botnet that performed distributed denial of services, which is DDoS attacks. If you've ever heard that term before, you'll hear it a lot in like um, 
I think you've heard it a lot in like the Bourne movies and stuff. Any, anything that has to do with like cybersecurity and things like that. Uh, these attacks were intended to shut down and tar- uh, a targeted website or server. So it's been more than a decade since the worm spread like wildfire on the internet. Unfortunately, the malicious malware still spreads today on the internet, generating 1% of phishing emails being sent. 1% is a lot. Now, there are about 3.4 billion phishing emails sent daily today, and about 1.4 billion of those are covered by the MyDoom malware, which means about 1.4 billion phishing emails a day are still this virus. Um, A little bit off topic, the the reason I chose this article uh, a couple weeks ago, I think, actually, hold on, let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, a computer where's Minsta paper. Cause that's where I store all of my, what do you got, uh, <laughs> articles. Oh yeah. Uh, so I was going to send this article, but I wanted to focus up on one virus, which, uh, a couple weeks. No, I'm sorry. This was 2019. This article came out. Uh, there was a laptop that was malware ridden, uh, sold as artwork for $1.3 million at an auction. So the laptop was packed with six different types of dangerous malware and sold for $1.3 million. Uh, So there's there's a ton of infamous malware viruses. The big one for this computer is I Love You, uh, which was from 2000. Uh, It also included the Wanna Cry ransomware. Um, There's a lot of crazy stuff with that, but it sold for $1.3 million as artwork, which is so strange. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> due to the destructive nature of my doom, a prize money of $250,000 was offered to anyone who would know who the developer was behind the malicious malware. Now let's say 2004, let's do an inflation, uh, calculator and see how much $250,000 in 2004 would be today. It would calculate to $380,497.62. Good chunk of change. Good chunk of change. Back then it was a good chunk of change, but it's even a better chunk of change today. Chunk Um, of change. Chunk of change, the name of my movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Assuming that the developer of My Doom Virus truthfully caused chaos among most of the computers worldwide, the developer was never caught. The rest of the article is just quickly how to protect yourself from my doom. Basically, guys, if you see an email from someone you don't know and it looks weird and fishy, or if it is from someone you know and it looks weird and fishy, just don't open it. Don't open it. <laughs> it's that simple. Uh, at work, we have phishing. We have fake phishing emails sent out basically weekly that we have to kind of identify and then flag so that they can go, good job, you did it. Um, so this, the, this type of virus prompted a lot in cybersecurity over the course of the next... 15 years or so. Um, It is the most infamous malware virus uh, to date. It is still around, like I said, doing 1.4 million phishing emails a day. Sorry, sorry, 1.4 billion phishing emails a day. That's with a B. Um, It's a crazy virus. There's a ton of different viruses out there. um, And it's weird to think of them as kind of like famous. Like you get a computer virus, but basically with something like this, you're screwed. You can't run, you know, McAfee or Windows Defender and just, oh, we identified my doom. We've erased it for you. It doesn't exist. If you get it on your computer, your computer's shot. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> um, 
but it's crazy. And uh, that is that is the whole article. It's it's literally just a quick article from iTech Post, as always, link in the description of the episode. Uh, this is considered a viral flashback. So this was actually written recently. This was from March, uh, so a month ago. This this viral flashback was uh, written. Uh, but that's basically everything on the my doom virus it is the worst virus in in computer history and uh uh it's it's still around today as we can as we can see so uh what did you think about this rob did you know about this one in in particular uh i think i'd seen it before in like lists of famous computer viruses Mm -hmm. it it hadn't stood out to me until this point i think just the notion what really stood out to me was the notion that it's still it's still out there just kind of hanging around because these things don't really go away yeah, which it's insane, like 15 years, no more. I mean, this came out, it was born on January 26th of 2004. So that's the very beginning of 2004. We're years, looking, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's insane. I mean, they've never been able to find who created it. And at this point, I don't think you ever would be able to find it. I don't think that's possible. But it's it's interesting to think about from the perspective of whoever created this. It's only what a couple, you know, 15, 15, 18 years ago. That guy's still around, whoever that person is. So do you think they just kind of sit down and like, yeah, I created the my doom virus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing they probably don't tell people, but on the elite hacker forums. Yeah. Right. It's on the, the, the dark web. Um, <laughs> there is this, there is this funny sketch from Viva La Dirt League. Uh, if anyone watches them on YouTube, they're hilarious. They do a lot of like video game logic sketches, but one of the sketches they did was confusing the dark web for dark mode on your computer. Um, where the one guy is showing the other person how to do something and he has his computers just set to dark mode because it's easier on the eyes. And the guy's like, how did you access that? What is going on? It's so funny. Um, we're in. Yeah, but that's that's the that's the my doom virus. It's very scary. Uh, I don't know why I'm fascinated by like insane computer viruses. Like there's kind of a. An interesting part of the zeitgeist of the Internet, of the digital information age uh, related to computer viruses. And I don't know. I find it I find it interesting. It's it's a weird type of like almost domestic terrorism. If you it will. is. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, the financial damage you can do yeah. with these kind of things and the way they propagate themselves is always fascinating. Like I remember another one about it. I think it was a teenager at the time who wrote a virus that's like the most viral thing that's ever gotten out there. I think uh, the, I remember this. This was like early enough where it wasn't as big of an issue as my doom. Right. But like the, the potential this thing had and has for like infecting computers yeah. is even greater than my doom. And it doesn't actually do anything. It yeah. just infects computers. But like if someone got a hold of that line of code and added to it, it could be a problem. And and it's it's interesting to think about in terms of today's day and age, because you think about like, I, I know everyone talks about this, that we like take the Internet for granted and everything's digital and all this stuff. But it, it really is true. I mean, think about any time, you know, the power goes out when there's a storm. You can't you can't charge your devices. You can't get on the Internet. You can obviously use your phone for data and stuff like that, but like anything else you can't, you can't do Um, even down to friggin' Kindles. If your Kindles not charged, you can't read your book without charging the battery. It's it's insane. (laughs) Yeah. We Um, might be putting ourselves into a corner. (laughs) uh, I I definitely think we are. And, and don't get me wrong. I absolutely love my Kindle. It's one of my favorite pieces of tech I have. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it, you see it starting in more things like now there's kind of like smart water bottles and stuff. And I, I'm kind of like 
you know, I don't really feel like I want to have to charge my water bottle. <laughs> it's it's a f- it's not a foreign concept anymore, but it still feels really alien to me. Yeah. Um, I, I had this very visceral reaction a few years ago. The first time I was walking through Home Depot and I saw <laughs> Wi-Fi uh, light bulbs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, like, I just remember standing there like completely unable to envision why do I need Wi-Fi for my light bulbs? <laughs> and then like, it's all right. It turns out if you want to, if you want to slave everything in your house to your like Alexa or whatever, just be like Alexa, turn on the living room light. Yep. But at the time I was just like, no, Oh, oh absolutely. It's, dude. it's three inches long. <laughs> when, when smartwatches first came out and, and I wear an Apple watch now, but when smartwatches first came out and stuff, I was like, why do I want to have to freaking charge my watch? It's already a bitch to take it to the jeweler and get the battery changed out <laughs> every <laughs> seven years. I don't want to have to charge it. You forget to charge it. And then you don't tell the time. It's, it's crazy. The amount of stuff that is smart now, uh, I use smart in quotations. Um, but Everything yeah, there's but me. <laughs> I still have to charge Rob every once in a while, though. Usually, it's with food. Um, let's let's get down to the nitty. Ing- <laughs> let's get down yes, to the nitty gritty. Uh, so that's the my doom virus. So uh, I'm, I'm sure we went in weird directions with this to both of us. But Nick, what do you got? Okay, so the uh, the first thing that came to mind to me was how do I take this and make it something that isn't just what it is, right? Like we we obviously talk about changing the stories around so that we're not just making direct adaptations of our articles. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I started thinking about the stuff we were just talking about, how everything is online, how everything's digital. Um, and I came up with something that I think is really interesting. However, it is not fleshed out. So I don't have a reasoning as to why X works, okay. um, but I'm going to explain X now. Um, basically, my movie, I don't know if it takes place in the 90s, but it takes place, I, I would say, in like the late 90s, early 2000s in an alternate timeline when um, when the digital information age and the Internet never really took off. Uh, so everything is still kind of analog and there's there's not there's no Internet or anything like that. Um, and the premise that I have is it's actually kind of a it's kind of a detective's story. I'm I'm likening it to seven a lot Mm -hmm. um but it's about a detective who in this small town there is physical mail um so not email there's physical mail that gets sent to people's homes and when they open it it actually scans their home and locates valuable items so like Hmm. jewelry or things like that and again this is the part i have not fleshed out i don't know how that works maybe it's some type of infrared camera or something like that um and there's this one person sending these these letters out to families uh, so that he can basically have their place scanned so he knows where all their valuables are so he doesn't need to waste time. And then he goes in and he steals it. And if they happen to be there, he murders them. Um, so it's yeah. So it's kind of like a serial killer slash serial. I guess what's the difference between burglary and robbery again? I don't know. I forget the difference, but there is a difference. I think, I think technically he's a burglar, um, but it's about that. And it's about a detective trying to catch him uh, while using, you know, only analog ways of finding someone since the internet does not exist. Uh, my director of choice, I, as well as Rob and as well as our special guest, Matt uh, from episodes back uh, have fallen in love with Apple TV Plus's show severance. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it is the best show on TV right now. I hands down believe that. I think everybody should be watching it. It is nine episodes if you have Apple TV Plus. Um, and if you don't, find a way. Borrow someone's account. Um, <laughs> it is an insane uh, story uh, very quickly just about a group of people who work at this company called Lumen where their work memories and their personal life memories are severed from each other. So when they go into work, they're technically a different person um, so that they can have a quote-unquote work-life balance. Um, but it is so much more than that. It's insane. So I was on a kick from finishing the finale of Severance last night. Uh, so my director of choice is Ben Stiller because okay. I think he could do this really well with his turn in Severance. And my main star is the one guy. Everyone in Severance stole the show. They stole every scene they were in, no matter who was in the scene, every person, every line they said they stole the scene. There wasn't one person in Severance that was a weak link or anything like that. However, the one person that I do think impressed me the most was the gentleman who played Mr. Milchick, Tramel Tillman. Um, so he is my he is my star. He's my detective uh, trying to locate this gentleman. The person who's going to play the serial killer slash uh, burglar uh, is going to be played by James Spader. And there is an older gentleman who's going to try and help the detective. Uh, maybe he used to be a detective. Probably not because that's a little too seven. Um, but there's someone who's kind of helping him along the way. Maybe he knows something about this type of stuff. And that's going to be played by Kevin Costner. Mm. Um, so I have Tramel Tillman as my detective. Kevin Costner as kind of his helper. And then the serial killer is going to be played by James Spader. The title of my movie is Interference. Um, and that's, uh, that's my, that's my pitch. It is not fully fledged out, but it is an alternate timeline where analog rules and the digital age never came. Um, so Rob, I would actually love to know what you're going to have for lunch today. Oh, that's a good question. I was thinking about ham. (laughs) Just, just rum ham. Just a rum ham. (laughs) Just a rum (laughs) ham. (laughs) Rob, what do you got? Okay. Um, so I went in a different direction. Mm. Um, my movie's called The Bell Tolls. Uh, for who? For thee? You'll see. Uh, <laughs> don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the again, what stood out the most to me about the article was just how this virus is still hanging around and right. and probably will for a very long time, if not forever. Just sort of sending emails at people. Uh, which I find to be a creepy idea. Yeah. So I took that and I ran with it. Um, and I combined it with uh, a story I'm familiar with and that's had certain pop cultural <laughs> imprints before. Okay. Um, in the course of my story, which is directed by Bill Condon mm, um, okay. and stars Brendan Fraser. Ooh, Fraser, sir. Fraser. Uh, as a just kind of a hump uh, computer engineer um, who begins noticing a a certain series of patterns between things that are happening, um, denial of service attacks. I'm sorry, when does yours take place? Is it pleasant? Pleasant. Is it present day? (laughs) The present pleasant day. (laughs) The pleasant present day. (laughs) Present film. It's the sequel. And um, continually finds references to a bell ringing and uh, Hmm. bicycles and weird little bits of things in the code 
of this not especially malicious but very omnipresent thing he keeps finding across different computer networks Hmm. uh particularly on government contracts and business contracts uh and he consults with a a retired mentor of his who's played by keith david Ooh, okay um who used to work uh for uh bell laboratories in the 60s and um between the two of them and the also the introduction of rebecca ferguson as an nsa agent once things start going south Mm-hmm. Um, they discover that from uh, the early age of computing in the Bell Labs that Keith David worked at, an IBM 704 computer was used for the first time to sing a song, uh, the song hmm. Daisy Bell, uh, which was famously kind of used in 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> As Hal's being shut down, he sings the same song. Uh, you and know, I've, can... I've actually never seen 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, yeah. As they shut down the evil computer, he regresses to the first day he was activated. And uh, he's saying, hi, gentlemen, do you want me to sing you a song? And he slowly uh, sings Daisy Bell as he shut <laughs> down. Uh, Daisy, Daisy. Um, <laughs> and you can hear the IBM 704 sing this. I'll, I'll send the link to Nick so he can put it in the uh, description as well. Mm-hmm. It's creepy, but uh, like very endearing. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, and that particular computer and a line of code from it, uh, has propagated throughout each, uh, era of computing, um, surviving and expanding on itself and taking pieces from other lines of code and other computer systems and is now omnipresent in our current internet computing structure. Okay. Uh, and is achieving sort of a level of sentience and transcendence that computers have not before uh, as the three of them discover this and whether or not it's going to be malicious at that level of intelligence, because it is in everything. Hmm. And uh, that's for whom that's the bell tolls. <laughs> is that for whom it tolls? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love for it. All of us. Um, it's so in your vision is the present day normal computers we have today, or is it, yep. Okay, because like what I absolutely one thing I love about like the style of Severance is they any type of sci-fi like that it, Loki does it too. That kind of uses like the sixties seventies aesthetic of computers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's what I was trying to go for here. But I like I really like the idea. So the company that he works for is what again? Um, he he, he just works as like a software engineer. Okay. Um, and stumbles onto very similar lines of code and different things from his government contracts, from his business contracts, things that suggest um, a similar thing that's running on them, but like why? Hmm. Okay. So how do we put this together? Um, I think, okay. So simply put, we can use the IBM 704 as a, Maybe a stepping point for my James Spader character. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's using them. Maybe the bell is something. Doesn't have to be the burglary aspect or anything like that. But we can still use him as kind of our antagonist. Okay. Um, where we keep your Brendan Fraser and Keith David. And what was Rebecca Ferguson again? NSA. Okay. Uh, so we can keep her. 
And then we just utilize it as instead of it being a detective, Brendan Fraser's character trying to uncover the mystery of what exactly it is and what it's doing. Now, since this is a sci-fi, do we ever discover what it is that the the bell is doing? I mean, I'm obviously trying to think of ways to combine this with your idea. Yeah. Um, and maybe the notion that James Spader um, has, has, has taken this, this old piece of, of computing and software uh, together and realized it's so utterly basic that nothing will, in the modern sense, treat it as a threat. Mm-hmm. And so he uses it as a starting point and a backdoor for him to get into different computer networks. Okay. Because for me, the moment I hear the idea of the bell, I'm, I'm wondering if we turn this Pavlovian. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it is something like the bell, you know, after hearing it so many times, uh, maybe there's a certain line of code that Brendan Fraser's character is writing. And every time he hears the bell, he kind of subconsciously puts a specific line of code into what he's working on. And that's that, actually what that he's been programmed. Yeah. yeah. So like the, the bell is basically programming him to code in its virus into whatever it is he's working on. Oh, like um, yeah, I think it's, it, it definitely has kind of like that Pavlovian, well, it doesn't have kind of, it literally is uh, the, is it, is it called Pavlov's theory? Um, I'm thinking of the right one, right? Pavlov yeah, is the yeah. one with the bell. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just. Uh, I don't remember. If it, I think it was theorem, maybe. I, I mean, it's, it's always just been called Pavlov's dog to me. Um, dog, okay. Pavlovian yeah. conditioning. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But that's what we utilize. So, uh, Spader, maybe Spader used to work for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, did you did you say what company it is, or it used to be Bell, or? Um, that I had Keith David be one of the engineers who used to work at Bell and was okay. kind of there for the the Daisy Bell singing thing. Okay, okay. Computer. So we utilize uh, Brendan Fraser as working for a company that's you know coding something. Maybe we don't know what it is. Uh, maybe he doesn't know what it is. Um, and this Bell somehow James Spader has programmed it to basically force Brendan Fraser to write in code every time he hears it. So that's what he starts looking for throughout the office. Maybe mm, I like um, that's suitably what, creepy. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's causing like, he obviously doesn't know that he's coding in this stuff when he hears the bell, but he hears the bell. So he's just trying to figure out where it's coming from, what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said that the building that he's working in used to be the old bell building. No, not necessarily. Okay, because that could be interesting if we make it that it used to be that building. So, like, Keith David comes, somehow he meets up with Keith David, who used to work in the building. So maybe he knows a little bit about, like, whatever, where the IBM 704s used to be. Very good idea. Um, And then, obviously, Rebecca Ferguson just comes in and is like, yeah, we're shutting it down. Because, you know, that's how Rebecca Ferguson sounds. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She sounds like... She sounds like Ron Perlman. If you've never heard it, it's 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 uncanny. Um, <laughs> um, so she's coming in to kind of maybe take over the process, but he's looking at it from a perspective of like, well, I want to figure this out myself. So maybe him and Keith David go. I don't know. Are we getting too severancy here? <laughs> like it's it's on the mind now. So I don't know. 
Mm, no, I, I don't really think so. Okay. Okay. Um, so then, yeah, she comes in to try and like take over or not take over, but maybe she's there just to, maybe she was contacted by someone. Maybe he contacted her. Yeah. And she's trying a security to risk here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then we have them trying to uncover whatever it is the bell is, how it was implemented. And I think this is one of those things where we go the seven rat where we never see or know who the antagonist is until James Spader has like one scene in the end. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Something like can, that. We can uh, backload all of his, uh, all of his energy. Yeah. Yeah. It could also be a nice, um, it could be a nice like semi reference to Ultron too. Um, oh yeah. Since he's sort of doing something similar. Um, okay. Let me think about Bill Condon. Uh, cause I know him, but off the top of my head, I'm not sure his movies. Um, I mean, girls, gods and monsters. Chicago was Brendan Fraser. Um, oh, he did Chicago too. Um, Kinsey. I think that was supposed to be good. I never saw that one. Yeah. Kinsey's a good movie. Um, yeah, I don't know much of his work. Oh, he did Mrs. Uh, Mr. Holmes. That was very good. Yeah. Oh, he did the he did, uh, live action. He did the WikiLeaks movie. Which one's that? Uh, the one Benedict Cumberbatch plays Julian Assange. I forget what it's called. Oh, is that the Fifth Estate? Yes. yes oh, it's got yes, Daniel yes. Bruhl. Mm-hmm. You know, I love me some Daniel Bruhl. Um, Daniel Dumscheidberg. Uh, Daniel Berg. Alicia Vikander, too. I get her and Lily James mixed up a lot. I think they look alike. They they look similar. Yeah. Um, I still have never seen Ex Machina. Speaking of sci-fi, I know what? that's you one. didn't. I didn't watch that with you. No, I think we might have had this conversation on the podcast before. No, I watched it with Matt. That's what it was. <laughs> because I've seen Annihilation, which I absolutely love. Uh, and then he also didn't he direct? No, he didn't direct. Uh, uh, Predestination. That was uh, that was the Spirit Brothers. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I need to see uh, Ex Machina as well. Predestination is yeah. one of my absolute favorites. Um, yeah, man, dude, even I just like kind of Googled the IBM 704 and just seeing all these like old school photos of old 1960s or 70s computer yeah. rooms and all the big things full of tape for it's, memory. It's so cool. Like, I love this aesthetic for film, especially in a dystopian future where we kind of get forced or pushed back into this analog kind of you know, theme or so. Um, Unlinked computers. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, all the film. I'm definitely using a photo like this for our uh, for our thumbnail, though. <laughs> um, okay, so where do we go from here? Um, I guess you know uh, what is what is the ultimate goal uh of the antagonist in this scenario is the question we should answer yeah i get yeah i guess we have to figure out what he's trying to program brendan fraser to uh to code to code um do we go the route do we go a political route is he trying to program something into no actually no no before we answer that let's answer the question of do we ever find out what brendan fraser is working on um, yeah, I think his company probably has contracts for the government and contracts for the private sector. Yeah. So whatever he's working on is something government related and Spader's code is programming into either sabotage something or get a message out 
I want to say sabotage um, because getting a message out, like realistically, just do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to I'm going to say sabotage. Oh, my God. I found a miniature IBM 704. A mini? Wait, I'm gonna. I'm sharing. Like it works? I don't know. No, I think it's just like or a just a replica, miniature, like a toy. It's like a miniature office. Hold on, wait. I'm gonna. I'm gonna send this to you. <laughs> what the heck? Um, <laughs> this is really cool. Uh, no, that's yeah, that's you. Okay, here. He's like a miniature 704 is anything that's not the size of a walk-in refrigerator. No, no, no. I mean, like this is a like <laughs> tiny one sixteenth scale of like an office room. Check that out when oh, you see it. Oh. I, I sent it to you on Messenger. I love it. Isn't that awesome? I want that. That's so cool. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll link this into the uh, into the podcast as well, so people can see it. This is really yeah, cool. Yeah, look at that. It's a little IBM, IBM room. Yeah. I love it. Oh my god, That's I want so this. How much is it? Is it super expensive, or did he just build this by himself? I don't think he's selling it. I think he built yeah. this on commission. Yeah, I think he just built it. So oh, ask I him. I, could, I wish I could do something like that. Um. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so he's trying to sabotage something government related, maybe something to do with uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Something to do with like uh, allied forces or something like mm. that. Um, obviously has some type of political agenda. And then we utilize the fact that we have Rebecca Ferguson from the NSA there to stop that type of thing. But maybe Brendan Fraser is the one that actually stops it since he's our protagonist. Mm hmm. And they, where should they find him? I think that's the question. Like, where is, is Spader anywhere near? Has he stayed close the entire time to like make sure it's working and stuff? Yeah, he could have. I mean, I also like the idea that really like hacking is in real life. Like he just sort of hit start on a program and, and he doesn't then, have to do anything else. Yeah. And then just lets it run. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, what do you mean stop me? It's already running. <laughs> I've been enjoying coffee. <laughs> He's at a cafe. Mm. I'm wondering, do we set it in the early 2000s so that like the internet's not as big as it is right now? Uh, oh, that's okay. That's an interesting way to K- take it. Kind of like it's it's easier for this to go missed because it's not as... What's the word I'm looking for? It's not as prioritized, maybe? So, so maybe he's foreseeing... You know, uh, in as personal home computing is is booming, uh, we've just come out of the dot com bubble, but social yeah. media is about to be a thing. Yeah, so maybe we're he's, like two thousand six, two thousand seven. Yeah, he's foreseeing, you know, mass use of the internet in an explosive way that hasn't happened yet, as of course happened. Uh, he's foreseen that, and he's trying to essentially get this line of code he's written. Uh, that's piggybacking off of this old IBM thing uh, out there to essentially where if he gets if he gets this right and he does it early enough, he can be in every corner of the Internet. I have an idea that can bounce off of that because that's great. We make it that since the Internet is not like huge yet. So maybe we put it a little bit further back, maybe like 2002, 2003 or something. The Internet's not huge yet. And maybe his character, James Spader's character, kind of understands the implications of what the internet could be and digital information. Maybe he's trying to get that information out. Maybe he's trying to unlock it, but it's being regulated by this company 
um, similar to shoot, yeah, what this is, is a security it? company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're trying to st- what is it called? This was a, a a debate a couple years ago. They're still going through with it, where it's like a subscription service to the internet. You can only get certain things. What is it called again? Uh, they were trying net neutrality. Net, net neutrality. neutrality. Yeah. So like they're trying to control net neutrality, and he's trying to unlock it so that people have access to all this information. So maybe he's not like a bad guy. Maybe he's actually trying to put this information out there so that people can use it and understand what the internet can become. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Like so that it's sort of a, a, a digital freedom fighter. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely like a freedom fighter. Um, so Brendan Fraser maybe doesn't exactly, but I mean, honestly, I would say maybe none of them understand the implications of what the internet could be, but James Spader's character does. He's just like, it's, it's a wealth of knowledge at your fingertips that you can unlock any, any moment you need to. This isn't just going to be a toy. It's going to be utility in the same way that our national power structure is. Yes, exactly. So he's trying to get this information out there for everyone to see. And this company, whatever the company's name is, is trying to kind of keep it under wraps. Not because they're like, we don't want people knowing about it, but they're like, we don't really know what we have yet. We need to just kind of put a lid on this and kind of learn a little bit more about it. So that actually kind of, that actually gets an interesting debate among the protagonist and antagonist. Like this company's not hiding it because they don't want people to have access to it. They're hiding it because they're worried about what people will do if they have access to it. You know, it's kind mm-hmm. of an argument of like, are people inherently good or are people inherently bad? They don't know what they're going to use the internet for yet. They're not even sure what the internet truly is. So they're just trying to keep a lid on it and see like, let's, let's, you know, put brakes on this and let's see what actually can become of this before we just unleash this information to the world. And he's he's the one saying, no, you don't get to make that decision. What gives you the right? Everyone should have access to this. They should be able to make that decision themselves. So it Uh, kind of becomes, you know, government versus the rebel. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But like in the in the process, this, you know, creating this malware, you know, someone could become far, far, far too powerful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And maybe we showcase that. Maybe we do see an example of that to kind of prove Brendan Fraser's company's point. Yeah. That like, look, look what happened. Like this is I just I just wrote one line and now no credit cards are processing across the United States. Exactly. Exactly. And and that what's really interesting about that is that he's showing like this is why we can't unleash this. And James Spader is going like this is why we have to unleash it, because look what you have control of. Mm hmm. You know, yeah, better us than them. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's that's all it is. It's an us versus them scenario. Mm. Um, Ooh, I like it. I like it. Do you do you like it, Rob? Do you think it's good? You know, I've been thinking about it lately while listening to jazz. <laughs> do, you, do you think I'm pretty? Your wife. <laughs> you have a girlfriend. Wife. I'm going to hurt her. I'm going to hurt her. I'm going to hurt her in front of you. I'm going to hurt her so bad. <laughs> pitching a Mission Impossible movie is crazy. <laughs> oh, man. Philip Seymour Hoffman. I miss that, man. What a fucking talent, dude. I don't think I'd ever seen him in a movie where he didn't like just blow me away. And I'm talking everything. I'm talking Twister. 
all the early stuff. Along came Polly. No matter no matter what he was was doing, worthwhile. (laughs) No matter what he was doing, he was just insane. It's yeah, I, I'm I'm upset that I never did get to see him in a Death of a Salesman. I'm, I'm oh really god, because that. that was him and Andrew Garfield, wasn't it? Was that Biff? I think I think Andrew Garfield was Biff. Wow, because that would have been kind of right after a little bit after. No, yeah, right after Social Network. So he was starting to take off, probably right before he got uh, Spider Man. Wow. That's so crazy to think about. Because yeah, because Social Network was 2010. Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man was I think 2012, right? 2010, jeez. Yeah, yeah. That's and that was I think what was that the first movie that Trent Reznor scored? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it was the first, but it was the first major one where people he was up for an Oscar. But did he win an Oscar? He might have just been up. I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Andrew Garfield, Linda Edmond, and Finn Whitrock. Finn Whitrock, who's that? Um, uh, is he a Broadway he... actor or film actor? Yeah, he's he's done a lot of stage stuff. He's also been he's, he was in American Horror Story. Oh, okay. Uh, I can't think of anything else. Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff with, with Ryan Murphy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to say that we use Ben Stiller for this as a director, though. I'm fine with that. It's it's taking a different tone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely is. But I think it has that kind of espionage. It's I I guess maybe it sort of is an alternate timeline because obviously we're changing we're changing the way that the internet was quote unquote invented. Um so it's kind of like this got this espionage feel to it. I'm feeling like, especially because it takes place in like 2002, 2003, I'm feeling kind of like that born color scheme, you know, a lot of the blues, a lot of the blues and grays that they use for those movies. Mm -hmm. Hell, we could just use Paul Greengrass as the director. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm already getting dizzy. (laughs) Or if we set it in Mexico, it can just be orange and yellow tint. (laughs) At the end of the movie, we just blare that one Moby song that he always uses. <laughs> and that's all we're allowed to sing of it because we will get a copyright strike. <laughs> Everyone knows what you're doing. It's the Hans Zimmer. No, there's this Moby song he uses at the end of like every Jason Bourne movie. Yeah, no, I think I remember it. I yeah. love the Bourne trilogy. I never saw the one with Jeremy Renner, or I never saw five either. I saw the one with Jeremy Renner. I didn't see the just, I think it was just called Jason Bourne. I didn't oh see that Oh my God, one. it's Jason Bourne. <laughs> That's the most useful <laughs> meme structure. Just a kid spinning a broom horribly. <laughs> oh my God, that's Jason Bourne. <laughs> John Stamos is here and he's, he's pissed. pissed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I think we have a movie. This one came together quicker than I would have expected, actually. Yeah, it was, they were pretty disparate concepts, but they they kind of gelled. Yeah, I think we both kind of had a similar idea of what we wanted to do. Mine was a little bit more out there. I still would like to figure out what I was thinking in terms of like making the the <laughs> physical mail scan an apartment or whatever. Nope, like discard it. Yeah, I have no idea how that would work. <laughs> I was because originally I was like before I went with that, I was like, am I just doing like? Is it going to be like a? Uh, airborne toxin like are we doing like an anthrax scare or something like that but i was like no it's just not in the vein of what the article was about so um but i think what we got (laughs) what we got 
<laughs> what, do, what do we got, huh? Um, I think what we put together is uh, pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> You're such a weird man. I am, but so are you. Um, that's our show. And that's why we got what we got. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> you heard it, me. it makes grammatical sense, but also it does not. <laughs> It makes sense at the same time. It does not make sense. Oh, God. Tell them about the things. Oh, the things. Follow us, like us, subscribe to us, review us. Please, we're pretty. We we like to feel good about ourselves. This is an audio just, medium. <laughs> just swipe, swipe right. Swipe right on Tinder. Do something like that. Enjoy us while you can, while we're here. What are you, please? T- what do you know? <laughs> We've been canceled, Rob. Um, <laughs> By literally no one. Um, <laughs> like, comment, subscribe, WDYG podcast. What do you got everywhere you look? Um, Instagram might be coming soon. We're going to see if we can get that idea going that we had with Mr. Sangregorio. Um, because I think that it could be interesting, but it's a little time consuming, uh, especially for him. So we'll, we'll hopefully have something something come together in terms of Instagram in the near future. Um, but if not, you guys know where to find us. We're on every type of podcast app, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean is where we host. Swish, swish, swish. swish. It's the new, it's the new one. Swish, swish. Um, <laughs> please send to your friends. Please share review. It helps us out a lot. We want to get more traffic. We want to be able to have more listeners. We want to be able to have more guests. Uh, so just bring us, bring us your friends. Let us, let us keep them. Bring us your friends. <laughs> Rob, anything else? Well, until next time, guys, I've been Rob. I've been Nick. And that's what we got. What Do You Got is recorded live at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Our theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell. Additional music is provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Vice. You can find her on Twitter at, at Gabby Vice. 